sure. I will say that if you're in a restaurant segment and you've got supply chain, restaurants a heavy supply chain business. You've got to get your products, you know, from your supplier to your distributor to the franchisee. And in that model, I fully support regional growth. Mm. Like it's, I made some mistakes at Wing Zone where we were kind of opening stores all over the place because we were focused on college markets and it put a lot of strain on really support and and um, and supply chain. I think if you're a uh, home if you're a, a home services business, a you know uh, if you're in the health and beauty, I think you can do some good regional you know, national expansion uh, because you're not really dealing with the supply chain. Welcome to the I Fired My Boss Franchise Podcast. My name's Dan Claps, founder and CEO of Franchise Playbook, a franchisor platform where we create, own, and operate dynamic franchise brands in the mobile services space. And my life's goal is to help people just like you fire their boss and become a business owner. And I'm Christian Dadalak, top franchise consultant and co-founder of Real Franchising, a leading franchise consulting firm. And together, we're on a mission to help people fire their boss, hire themselves, and live the American dream through franchise ownership. All right. Very excited about our guest today, Matt Friedman, the OG and real franchise founders uh, it's funny story. Matt and I met at a, uh, a franchise event and we really hit it off immediately. Um, and then I noticed the name of his company and I was worried that he was going to get mad at me because of the name of our podcast, but he was cool about it because we didn't do it intentionally. Uh, but actually, Matt, ironically, uh, before I do an introduction, we're actually changing to our, our audience. Um, quick announcement. Uh, we're really making a pivot toward more franchisees, more and more franchisees have been reaching out, wanting to join the show. And our audience has said, we want to really hear from more and more franchisees. And so we're we're doing that pivot. And in doing that pivot, we're actually changing the name of our podcast um, to uh, I Fired My Boss, a franchise podcast. And it's a, essentially these war stories of people in the corporate world that were corporate refugees, if you will, sharing how they got out and got into the business. And, you know, guys that are listening and girls that are listening, we're going to make this really about getting into like the, the, the nitty gritty. Yesterday, uh, Christian and I were recording podcast and we don't want to just talk about all the, the great stuff. Everybody talks about the great stuff. We want to talk about like what sucks about being a franchisee. What's hard? You know, what are you struggling with? And then of course, why do you do it? You know, the benefits, but anyway, um, Without further ado, I've got my co-host Christian Dadalak here, of course. Hey, Christian. What's going on, man? Stoked for today. This is awesome. Matt's a pretty cool guest. Matt Friedman in the house. Yeah. Thank you, Dan and Christian. And uh, I actually appreciate all the PR you've been giving me on Franchise Founders through your podcast. I keep getting <laughs> a lot of leads and concepts calling us. And I'm, I'm disappointed that you're changing the name. Oh, man. That's funny. That's good. Well, that makes us happy to hear that. Yeah, you're free to take the run with the, with the name and uh, and maybe make make one too. But well, guys, I'll give you a quick brief introduction to Matt. But I'm going to keep it short because I think he'll do a better job than me. Actually, you know what? I am just going to hand it yeah. off, Matt. Probably better. So I'll just give you a little background on myself and my current role and things like that. So I guess I started my career in franchising. Uh, as the founder and CEO of a chicken wing franchise called Wing Zone, 
And I started this with my fraternity brother uh, in our fraternity house in 1993. It's an amazing story with a $500 investment. Um, eventually turned it into a real storefront in Gainesville, Florida, and uh, built uh, seven company-owned stores in major college markets from 1995 to 2001. And I got bit by the franchise bug, and I've never stopped since. So in 2001, WingZone started franchising. Um, we were a startup franchisor, like a lot of the listeners and people that you know tune into the podcast. And I can tell you that um, it was a challenge. It wasn't easy. I had a lot to learn. Um, we didn't necessarily have the capital we needed to really scale to the level we wanted to. But we kind of muscled through it. And through tw- uh, 19 years of franchising, we successfully built and opened over 150 locations, not only in the US, but in six countries. And about a little less than two years ago, I um, sold the majority equity interest in WingZone. And so I started a company, franchised it, built it, and ultimately exited. And so I've been through the, the life cycle of a franchisor. Uh, my new role, which I've been in for the last 18 months, is the CEO of Franchise Founders. It's a phenomenal company. And I guess the best way to explain Franchise Founders is we're here to support, uh, help grow, and ultimately invest in emerging franchisor concepts. And the reason why I think we're in a great segment is um, franchising is a tough business. You know, it takes time, it takes capital, it takes expertise. And so we've been really fortunate to kind of uh, work with six current concepts. Some are in their infancy. Some have started, have been in franchising for several years. And each of them have their own unique, you know, challenges and opportunities. And so I will say that um, I use the term crawl, walk, run. You know, some franchisors, it's okay to crawl. Some are ready to walk. And then when you really get your systems and people in place, you're ready to run. So uh, I hope that I can provide a little guidance and a little bit of advice to some of the listeners. And let's jump right into it. I love it. And I'll, I'll do a little plug for WingZone. They just opened up a location out here by me. And I know the franchisees um, that opened it there. I met them through church years ago, back in 2016, I think. And I love it. I That's probably my favorite wing place in uh, in my local market now. All the flavors that they have, the service was great. It's right next door to me, basically, where I live. So uh, just a plug for WingZone and what you built there. Super cool. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. And, and, and honestly, um, you know, we sold... Uh, to Capriati's, which is a, a a great sandwich chain out of Las Vegas, and they've done a great job of carrying on the the torch and the legacy. And you know, I'm still on the board, and I'm still have equity in the company. And I think what I realized is I probably took it to as far as I could, and I think they're going to take it to the next level. And so it was the right time for me to exit. I also will just say that you know, not every franchisor you know, wants to take their company to 500 units. Some want to take them to zero to 50 and exit. And some want to, you know, have a legacy plan. For me, I felt like it was the right time to exit. And I also really had a great passion for helping other franchisors in this industry. Like 
business is not just about growth and money. It's really about how you help others. Um, and I will tell you that there were some challenging years at WingZone. You know, some years where we closed more stores than we opened. Um, you know, sales were down. And you kind of have to have this uh, rhino skin, as I say. It's my mascot. Like, you got to have some thick skin in this business because it's not always going to be great. You know, one of the things that I, I was always intrigued by when we first met Matt is, well, a couple, many things, but you were on stage and you said something, which was, what's the rush? Franchisors, take your time. And, and like you said, crawl before you walk. And that's always resonated with me. But what I think is cool, and one of the reasons I think you didn't rush is you strike me as someone that really enjoys the process. And like, what a cool story. You're still partners to this day with your co-founder of Wingsup. Like you guys are partners now in franchise founders, right? No, that's not actually correct. But we were partners and best friends for 27 years. Imagine that. We're fraternity brothers, best friends, and business partners for 27 years. Um, and we still are best friends. And we communicate all the time. But he's gotten into a different business. But uh, the other thing that I'll just mention about that is you know, when you, I think having a key partner in your business or a great leadership team is really important. I think the other important thing I'll just share is you, you've got to have different skill sets and different passions. So my former business partner, he was a phenomenal, um, you know, financial person and he was incredibly detail oriented and he loved doing all the behind the scenes stuff. And I was really more into operations and marketing and, you know, franchise recruitment and awards. And so we had this kind of perfect balance. And I would encourage those that are starting off in business or, you know, eventually looking to scale your business, that it's really important that you align with people that, A, you get along with, but you don't always have to do the same thing. Yeah, I think it's almost better if you clearly delineate those roles, right? If if someone's more of an ops person, the other person's more of the of the visionary or sales type person, then you know it works well together, and that way you're not stepping on each other's toes. And you know, here here are my responsibilities, here are my roles, and then here are yours, and you make the decisions here. Of course, we're going to discuss it, but you have the executive decision making power here, and then I'm over here, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to jump into just uh, kind of. If I can speak, you know, openly to Please. any of the audience or ultimately like some of the emerging franchisors out there. And, and I, I want to give a few examples here. Um, we're working with a company out of Philadelphia called Love and Honey Fried Chicken. And they worked with one of the, you know, franchise consultants and incubators. And they had a great experience. They really did. They, they got their FDD done and they got their operations manual and they got kind of to the point of launching their franchise. And they invested a significant amount of money and they got there and they said, oh my God, like we have all these tools, but what do we do next? And I think where franchise founders comes in is we're not trying to um, take a concept to its infancy. We're trying to take it from its infancy to some sort of scalability. So really with me and my team, we come in from uh, a multitude of things. Um, compliance. We have a compliance officer, which is very important in franchising. We have a franchise recruitment and award division. We've got operations, we've got marketing, and then we've got strategic planning. 
So we really become kind of the next phase of support beyond call the franchise incubators or consultants. And so I've, I've always felt that there was a, a need in that category. There's so many new franchisors that launch and they get to the starting line and they really don't have a great plan or they don't have the people to be able to scale. And so I think what we really are able to do is um, really bring in a team of people uh, that can kind of advise and guide them through some of the challenge of actually becoming a franchisor, awarding your first franchisee. How do you support them? How do you put the systems in place? And I will say that if I had someone, if I had some, a company like Franchise Founders when I launched WingZone, we would have without question made fewer mistakes. And I think that that is um, you know, a really important point out there. No one's expecting new franchisors to be experts in every category. I mean, I still to this day, I'm a knowledge seeker. I learn things every day. I'm, I'm, you know, I may be very knowledgeable about franchising, but I, I can't sit here and tell you that I know every aspect of it. So you talked about a lot of emerging franchisors. They don't have either one of the two or maybe both, they don't have the right plan or they don't have the right team in place, the right people. I guess let's start with with people. What does is, what is that initial leadership team typically need to look like or what would you guys recommend? Yeah, so um, I really look at, um, when you're an emerging franchisor, um, you talk about validation and stuff like that. I mean, you may have a great item 19 and you may have great sales numbers, but they're really looking for validation from existing franchisees. Like, would you, how's the support? How do you like it? Would you do it again? In lieu of that, as a young emerging franchisor, they're going to look heavily at what I call your leadership team. And if you're a founder and you've got another key person, they're looking at you and saying, Hey, I love the brand. I love the concept. And I really like you people, but who else is there behind you? And so from our side, we really come in not as consultants, but part of their team. So for example, the brands we work with, you know, I am part of uh, the Love and Honey Fried Chicken team. I'm part of the Frankie Salon team. And so all of a sudden, instead of two people on the team, there's seven or eight people on the team. And it gives credibility to new prospective franchisees. The truth is, is that, you know, it's very important to be upfront and honest with prospective franchisees. And if you're a startup and you're just getting started, be honest. You know, we're, we're, we're new. We've been in business five years. We've got a successful model. We've really put the systems in place. Um, and we've partnered with franchise founders to build a more robust leadership team. You know, Matt, just, just interject for a second. And for our listeners, like this is so key, what Matt is saying here. You know, uh, you've been instrumental with me throughout the the months of chatting here and there, picking your brain as I made my acquisition into the cleaning and restoration space. But you know, you're you're spot on that now. When we talk to franchise candidates, something I'm doing personally every day, all day, um, everyone asks, "Well, do you have any franchisees?" And for us, the answer is no. But our founder has been in this space for this long. More importantly, our executive team has done this, 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 and this already in franchising. We say we're a new franchise, but not a new franchisor in the sense that we've done it before. But without being able to talk about that, it is challenging if we didn't have the track record. And you're right. We say, no, we don't have any franchisees. And then we actually kind of just 
we don't get into it too much because we don't want to, we're not trying to cover that up. It's the truth. And people who get into a brand that's emerging, it's, it's a special person. It's a different person than maybe someone who's buying a 400 location business that's, you know, more established. But yeah. I can imagine being one of your brands and having that ability to say, no, we don't have any franchisees, but look at our, our leadership team behind this. That's, yeah. that's really. And the other team. thing, that's a great point, Dan. And the other thing that we look for are really strong founders. We are not looking to uh, invest and support and help grow emerging franchisors to take it over. We ultimately will do, uh, you know, uh, a fee for service, maybe have some back-end equity based on performance, or we would invest, but it's typically a minority investment. The founders as an early emerging franchisor are one of the most critical pieces. They are the lifeline of the franchise. And so um, if we talk to a concept where the founders, you know, not involved day to day, or, you know, they're really not in this for, even for the medium term to long term, we'll pass. Because we're not experts in their business. We're really coming in as experts in franchises and systems, but we need that founder to really lead the way. I think, Dan, for you, I mean, I think you partnered with a founder and, you know, that was important to you, correct? Yeah, I mean, well, I think going through the same process, if I was someone that was looking at working with you, like we, we hit it off immediately, you and I, right? So uh, with with me in the same seat in the home services space, um, the founder of the business that we're working with that, that we've uh, partnered with. Uh, we're like brothers. I mean, I can't explain it. We have a weird connection. We did the second we met. Um, there's something to it. Um, there's a chemistry or whatever you want to call it. But he and I are 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 similar in so many ways. We're different in many ways. Um, and I had probably 15 meetings. This is probably not. It was overdone, maybe. But I probably met with him 15 times. We had dinner with our families. You know, Coral and his wife. We we got together. I met his his daughter many many times. Um, I've been to family events even. Um, and it's kind of goes to that premise of like, if you couldn't hang out over a barbecue with some, some burgers, then, uh, you probably shouldn't work together. So yeah, I mean, you and I had a lot of conversations around some other founders that were, they had great businesses, but I couldn't imagine being, uh, you know, quote unquote married to them. So I think more than people realize that connection and trust is, is probably the most important and, and also, sorry, sharing values. Um, like getting married, right? You, right. I think at the, the foundation that if you have the same core values, you'll be you'll be much better shape or yeah. more likely to succeed. I wanted to share just to something else. I think if you've heard me speak, I think you've talked about something I call the five key metrics of building a, fr- a successful franchisor. And um, you know, I I think truthfully, it starts and ends at unit level economics. And I am a big proponent of, um, you know, number one, having an item 19 in an emerging franchisor's FDD. Um, You've got to be transparent and upfront with candidates. Truth is, if you don't have a profitable and successful business, you should not be franchising it. It also is imperative because you don't have the validation out there. You don't have dozens or 50 franchisees that can really validate for you. I think where what we really look at on the second piece is really a replicatable operational model. And it doesn't mean that every fran- every 
potential franchisor that we work with and invest in uh, is perfect in that scenario. But it has to be a simple operation model that can be duplicated time and time again. We would love to get involved with concepts that really are buttoned up from every angle there. Um, I mentioned the leadership team, which is number three. And then the next two, the next two are, are the fourth and fifth one is, I like brand cachet. I think for us, um, we're looking for unique and innovative franchise concepts. It is very hard for an emerging franchisor to compete with, you know, national burger concepts or, you know, um, you know, ki- uh, men's haircuts or whatever it may be. And so we are really looking for something that's unique and innovative. And we use the term brand cachet. And then the last piece is what I deem growth readiness and franchisee demand. Like we don't, you can't um, spend your way to driving uh, franchise recruitment. Now you've got to invest in franchise recruitment. And I'd love to have, I'd love to talk about that a little bit more in depth, but you've got to have the concept and the brand that's driving interest, even something as simple as, um, you know, their social media channels, their LinkedIn channels, where, where customers and people that are familiar with it really have an interest in it. Um, and I think that's really important. I mean, if, if you're not getting people that are like, hey, I'm really interested in your business. It seems very interesting. I love your concept. I have a great experience there. Um, don't think that, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're just going to go spend a ton of money and you're going to get all these people interested. So it's really important that you can kind of drive some organic activity and franchise recruitment and leads and not just rely on spending dollars. The last thing I'll just say about that piece is when we work with emerging franchisors, uh, most of them don't have massive budgets to spend in franchise recruitment and leads. Some people call it franchise development, you know? And so um, you've got to be able to be very smart financially where you can invest $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 a month in, in franchise recruitment and actually get some traction. So I think that's an important piece of, of what we're looking for. And this is a good test or a good checklist, even for those that are considering franchise their concept, their, their business and concept. Yeah, it's it's interesting. What you said there, like I really, what I heard was if you're a business owner and you're thinking about franchising, essentially if if people are not already kind of coming to you saying, is this thing a franchise? Like, uh, you know, I like this. Could I buy one? Like that's probably, if you don't have that early indicator, maybe you're not ready to franchise. Is that accurate to say? It is. In fact, that's yeah. what got me to franchise Wing Zone. I mean, we had seven company-owned stores. We were doing a substantial amount of business. People loved the product. We had a core target market, which was college campuses and military bases, very similar to how Domino's Pizza started. And people, I had managers of mine who were like, I want to open one of these. I had customers saying, how do I buy one of these? And that was my first kind of you know, um, light bulb of, hey, I need to understand a little bit more about franchising. Now, that was, you know, 20 years ago, a long time ago, but that was really how, how we launched into it. Man, if you see me looking down, I'm not checking my phone. I'm taking notes here because so much of what you're saying is, is really, really good. And I almost want to type up some notes later so I don't forget a lot of this stuff. But 
Um, one thing I wanted to go back to was the the yeah exactly was the uh, the the brand cachet that you had spoken about. I think that's a, not only is it a, a cool term, but I I completely agree with you that you know a lot of people will call that a differentiator or something like that. And I think oftentimes when people get into business, they're thinking to really stand out, I need to create the next iPhone or it needs to be some massive differentiator. But can can you give a few examples of maybe small differentiators, little things that that brands can do to differentiate themselves, but ultimately that make a big difference? Yeah, no question. I think, um, first of all, I think, you know, you've got to be unique in understanding what kind of your culture is. And then I like to call it your brand promise. Like, what do you represent? I know people say like, if your brand was a car, what would it be? Or something like that. And you just kind of, I think it's really important. I'll give an example. So we're working with this uh, company out of Philadelphia, Love and Honey Fried Chicken. And you think like, well, man, this, this is a fried chicken shop on every corner, right? There's like KFC and Popeyes and, you know, all these things and even a Chick-fil-A or something. Well, this group has created something like a cult following. They're kind of the gourmet fried chicken. It's, it's better than the best. It's hormone-free. It's, you know, homemade, um, you know, banana pudding and, you know, uh, different things that are, that just make them unique. I think a lot of times the menu itself, it's a restaurant or services, if you're offering it in, uh, whether it's health and beauty or home home improvement can really differentiate yourself. Um, I think that the next generation of franchisees are looking for something that really connects to them. And that's why one of our core values at Franchise Founders is that we want to provide our franchisees a quality of life. And I think, you know, if COVID taught us anything, it was that um, people want to, you know, own their own business. They want to maybe travel less work-wise, but they still want this quality of life. And so we have some, like, we have a restaurant concept that's only open five days a week. I mean, who does that? And we do it because ultimately we want the franchisee to have a quality of life. And that's a really important thing. I think those franchisors that are out there that can make that claim, you're going to be so much more attractive to prospective franchisees because you're thinking of them. You're not just thinking only about the dollars. Yeah, and that's it at the end of the day is what what is the itch that I'm going to help these potential franchisees to scratch? What's that pain point and what what solution am I solving for them? And um, I love that. I mean, I think that most people, when they think of a restaurant concept, they think nights and weekends and super heavily involved and, you know, and, and sometimes that's what it takes. But I love the idea of having a, a restaurant concept, a food concept where it is five, five days a week so that the franchise owner can, if, if that's what they like, if they love serving people and being in that type of business, but still would like that quality of life, you know, the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. So I, I love that. Yeah, no, no question about it. I think, uh, Christian, if we, I wanted to move to a different topic, if I could. Of I would love to. And um, so at Franchise Founders, we created something called the Franchise Founders Platform. And so it's almost as if you walked into a restaurant and there was a menu there. And there were like nine different menu choices. And I think what we've, what we've developed and what I think emerging franchisors will appreciate hearing this is that if there's nine items that every successful franchisor needs, no emerging franchisor 
will ever have all nine off the bat. Mm-hmm. They may be great at four or five of them, but they need support in these other four or five. And some of them are simple as like franchise recruitment and sales. One is real estate. One is construction. One's IT. One's you know compliance. One's marketing, ops, and a supply chain. So I think what we have figured out at Franchise Founders is that um, it's great to be able to evaluate an emerging franchisor and say, you know what, guys, you're doing these four things phenomenally well but we can help you in these five other things. And I think once again, and I'll put this on my LinkedIn and any of the followers can reach out to me. It's a great checklist. If you're an emerging franchisor, do a self-evaluation of your business and say, which of these things am I really buttoned up on? The one area I wanted to spend just a couple minutes on is that a lot of people use the term franchise development. And we've broken up franchise development into to two distinct categories. One is the franchise recruitment and award process. People call it franchise sales. But there's a whole nother component where most emerging franchisors don't think about, and that's real estate and construction. Mm. So you can be an emerging franchisor, go out there and award 10 units, right? And people are so happy and they love the brand and that sort of thing. But that's only a small piece of it. You've got to help them through the real estate process, the construction Mm -hmm. process, the project management. And a lot of early emerging franchisors struggle to get units open. And what happens in that time is that franchisees ultimately get, you know, they get frustrated. They're, you know, they're delayed. They're paying rent. They've got a loan payment. Mm. And so at Franchise Founders, we've really spent a lot of time on putting together a robust um, real estate and construction arm that ultimately helps emerging franchisors get units open. Last thing I'll just say to emerging franchisors is it's great to collect franchise fees, but that is not where you're going to make money as a franchisor. You're going to make money on getting units open, generating revenue, and generating royalty. And so put more focus on uh, once someone becomes a franchisee, really having a process in place to get them through the real estate and construction process. Absolutely. Yeah, the game, that's when it starts, right? Once the franchise yeah. is awarded, that's when the game really starts. Yeah, and I tell and- franchisees this, that you know, they go through the whole, you know, they've selected the franchise and they've you know, gone through you know, the site selection and the real estate and the training. And I'm like, all right, guys, it's opening day. This is the starting line. All that stuff mm. you did before just got you to the, to the starting block. <laughs> exactly. If you'd like our help investing in a franchise at no cost to you, head over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a free consultation. So it sounds like then with, with the real estate component, with the help that Franchise Founders provides, is that... I mean, I guess what would you recommend with a, a new emerging brand? They, you know, they they onboard their first or they they award their first few franchises, first few franchisees, and they're you know they're looking to. Uh, well, I guess even before the, they award the franchise, right? Does it make sense to start almost regionally, just because you're going to be helping them with those construction costs? Like start with this, with a particular region, award in a particular region first, build it out there, maybe where it's close to HQ and the original corporate location and then expand from there? 
or with your support that you guys provided franchise founders, are you guys able to do it, you know, nationally and wherever the interest tends to be for the, for the yeah, franchise? You know, I, I think, um, I hate to be, um, you know, vague on this one. I think it really does depend on the concept. Mm. Sure. I will say that if you're in a restaurant segment and you've got supply chain, restaurants a heavy supply chain business. You've got to get your products, you know, from your supplier to your distributor to the franchisee. And in that model, I fully support regional growth. Mm. Like it's I made some mistakes at Wing Zone where we were kind of opening stores all over the place because we were focused on college markets and it put a lot of strain on really support and and um and supply chain. I think if you're a uh, home, if you're a, a home services business, a you know, uh, if you're in the health and beauty, I think you can do some good regional, you know, national expansion uh, because you're not really dealing with the supply chain. Now, listen, you've got support, and that's an important thing. But uh, we were talking to one concept, and they've got a you know about ten units in in Texas, and they were like, well, we're gonna Continue to grow Texas, but we want to grow Florida. Okay, great. That's a strategic plan. So although you know they're far apart, they're not saying we're going to go to Texas and Florida and New York. They're like, we're focusing on these two states and we're going to grow it out. I think that um, you know, I, I do absolutely believe in a uh, methodical approach to growing franchises. I think the People get enamored when they say, well, I sold 50 units this year. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I did whatever. Honestly, at times you're better off, you know, awarding five and getting five great ones open. And I think that's a little bit of the, something that I never loved about the, the industry in, in that everyone just judged every concept based on how many units you had, but it really isn't that important. It's like, you got to look at who's standing at the end. So the Mm -hmm. advice I would give emerging franchisors is is you know focus on quality over quantity and the dollars will come absolutely yeah and eventually once you have those successful franchisees that you've really because that's where you're going to learn a lot too right getting those first franchisees open getting them successful getting them profitable and then from there like you said you know, crawl first, then you can walk, then you can run, but you want to make sure that you're not just trying to sprint right out of the gate because you're probably going to trip up and fall. You are. And I think that is also a key selling point as an emerging franchisor for new, for for candidates that you're engaged with. Like, listen, we're we're not trying to, you know, explode, so to speak. Like, we're going to really support you and make sure that this really works for both of us. And I think if you're genuine about that, a lot of early franchisees that join a concept really kind of feel the love, so to speak, you know, because they're taking a leap of faith. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a, in that particular sense, it's a partnership, like a founder created a concept, they invested dollars into franchising it. Maybe they partnered with franchise founders and then the franchisee has to say, I believe in where you're going with this as well. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. So, so I want to just touch base one more time a little bit on just, you know, franchise um, development, you can call mm-hmm. it franchise recruitment and awards. And I think one of the, the challenging pieces with emerging franchisors is, you know, some don't have the budget 
um, to really go out there and invest in um, you know a ton of franchise marketing. I will say that if you're going into it and it's like you you start a business and you spend zero on advertising, it's hard to grow your business. So you got to have some dollars in it. Let's be honest. I would say that I think developing great collateral is a really smart investment. You've got to have a first-class website. You've got to have the right franchise deck that you're putting in front of candidates. You've got to have great social and LinkedIn content and posts. You got to have a great, you know, electronic flyer or something like that. So, if I was advising a franchise, uh, an emerging franchisor, I'd say, if you want to pull back on some ad spend, that's fine, but make sure the collateral that people are seeing out there is first class. Um, and so, I we've we've been working with a lot of concepts to really um, not make it look so mom and pop, like mm-hmm. come across as we're really building something great here. Um, because they are, but I don't think that their materials show that. Yeah, it's very easy to see, to look at something that looks like it was created by someone that more or less is an amateur versus something that really is first class, like you said. And and look, it's a representation of the brand and and where their priorities are. I mean, if they're looking to look like, I think the, the goal really should be to look almost like a 100 unit, 200 unit brand before you are one and and to be thinking like one and putting the systems and processes in place. And I think a lot of that is about how you can, how you convey yourself and how you, how you look and what you put into um, that, that element of, of, of franchise recruitment. So I think I, I completely agree. Well, it's a philosophy. Like I think a lot of people say, well, when I have 20 franchises, I'll put these systems in place. And I think another philosophy is, well, can I put maybe not all these systems in place, but a nice chunk of them, before I start franchising, because you're always playing catch up. And I know it's like the nature of the business. Like I invested all this money and, and I've put so much energy and emphasis into it and I just want to get going, but it is valuable to take a step back. And I think that um, some of this really takes like some serious conversations and some serious thinking. Like, okay, are we ready? Because the last thing you want to do is launch uh, we weren't ready. You know, we haven't done this. Let's pull back and then relaunch. It's like mm. you only get so many shots to really put that that really big launch out there. Very true. Yeah. So on the same note, just really quickly, I know we touched on the the real estate component, but it's as far as the recruitment component of things and awarding the franchise to the right kinds of franchisees, and obviously with the type of person that is going to be getting involved in an emerging franchisor is likely going to be different than somebody that's going to be in more of an empire type brand that's very well established, been around for 40 years, lots of franchisees. So what should the, what should the franchisor, uh, the emerging franchisors be looking for in a newer franchisee and how should they be setting up their development process in your mind? Yeah. So, um, this may not be the most popular thing to say. But I don't believe that founders should be involved in the initial franchise recruitment and award Hmm. process. I believe that you need to outsource it, whether it's through, uh, you know, you hire someone full-time or part-time, maybe look at an FSO or look at someone like franchise founders. I think that um, a lot of founders just get too emotional in the sales Hmm. uh, process, at least initially. The other thing 
is candidates, if I'm a candidate and I'm calling for a, an, an interest, a concept that I like and I'm getting the founder on the phone, it doesn't give me the best thing of like, well, who's behind this whole franchise? Is there any other systems behind it? With that being said, um, I, uh, our approach is that, um, you know, we really look at providing an am- amazing amount of content and information to prospective franchisees early. Mm. We want to get them into a pretty detailed 60-minute call where we're taking them through the whole business opportunity. We call it a franchise deck. It's probably 20 to 25 slides. Gives them an overview. From there, we want to disclose immediately. Let's just get them an FDD, get them on the process, have them review it. And then from there, we're really talking about whether this is a cultural fit. Mm -hmm. Our philosophy around, some people call them discovery days, we call them franchise days, is that that is the last piece before it becomes a decision for both the franchisor and the franchisee. I don't believe franchise days should be a selling event. I think it should be more of let's spend some time together and really see if this is a good fit. I also believe that if someone's attending a franchise day, they should be well into the, this is really what I want to do. In fact, our expectation is that 80% of our candidates that attend a franchise day end up moving forward. So we use it as a culmination. So I guess to just recap your question, it's really quick contact is important. Like day of, you got to reach out to people. Then you're moving into a lot of information sharing. Okay. We need to, you know, we really just want to get in front of people and let them know what the opportunity is, be upfront, disclose item 19, anything like that. And then really it then moves to, you know, culture and then franchise day. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I think, I think that's, Somewhere where a lot of, uh, it's very easy to just kind of, you know, if, if you're an emerging franchisor and you don't know franchising, it's very easy to just kind of try to willy nilly and just do it randomly. There's no process in place in terms of how you're going to guide people through your, um, your awarding process. And I think that having that systematized way in the same way that you want to have systems in place for your, for your franchise, you want to have systems and processes in place for the way that you award them too. So, um, yeah. And last point I'll just make on that is that. You know, it's, it's a big, like, I think that a lot of founders, when they have tried to take on franchise recruitment and development and awards is like, man, this is a lot of work. Like I got to talk to a lot of people and, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it could be a, a time drain. And so I always view the founders as you are the hero, you are the brains, you are kind of the, the heartbeat of the concept. And you've got to figure out how to delegate, outsource, or bring someone on that can really do some of those other things. So I, um, you know, at Wingzone, I did that. I mean, I was the I was the f- spokesperson and I was the face of the company. And so when people came to our franchise days, it was a big opportunity for them to meet the founder. And I don't care if you're a single unit business or you're five; it's still, you know. Uh, an important thing to build up the founder as, you know, a critical part of the the concept. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of the brands that you typically choose to work with at Franchise Founders, is there a specific 
segment of the market or specific industry that you're typically looking to get involved with? Or are you open to working with, you know, more or less any kind of franchisor? Yes. So, you know, one of the reasons why I uh, joined Franchise Founders and invested and into the company is I really wanted to expand my knowledge outside of the fast casual QSR space. So um, I do think we've kind of found our niche in that we really like health and beauty and we really like kind of fast casual restaurants. Um, with that being said, one of the concepts that we are have invested in and are supporting is Patriot Broadband. It's a mm. phenomenal concept. We bring broadband internet to rural America. And I know that may, may sound crazy, like, well, isn't broadband everywhere? You would be shocked as to when you get into rural America, which is a trending place for people to move and live, is that uh, reliable wireless broadband internet is not a a common thing. So in that particular deal, it's opened my eyes. Like I went to one of the conferences and I was like, this is crazy. I didn't, you know, here I am a restaurant guy learning about like towers, uh, you know, broadband towers and stuff. It was really cool. Um, we've gotten into um, the hair and the, the women's uh, salon business with a concept called Frankie by Raziri, um, an iconic 100 year old brand um, an amazing story. And so I've learned a lot about that. And so I, I think, uh, ultimately for us, we're open to it as long as it's meeting those kind of five criteria, right? Mm. You know, unit level economics, obviously we've got brand cachet and readiness and operating model and a, and a great leadership team. So, um, I think that, you know, everyone kind of finds their niche. Um, we also like concepts that don't, require a massive amount of employees. Mm. I think in this day and age, it's important that as a franchisee, you know, if you have to manage, you know, five, 10, 15 employees, I get it. But, you know, it's really hard out there if you have to manage a, a, a entire, a large team of people. So that's a little bit of the niche that we're in, but uh, we, we, we really like to engage with as many emerging franchise opportunities as possible. So listen, I think in full transparency, we probably, I mean, my role in the company is to meet with as many opportunities as possible. We may meet with 20 concepts and only one is a good fit for them and for us. It's okay. I mean, I think it's ultimately just learning if it's a good cultural fit because we're not just, um, you know, only providing services, we're typically, in most cases, putting some capital in. Hmm. So then what does that process look like when a franchisor reaches out to you and they're interested in potentially working with you? What does the process look like in terms of mutually vetting and, and deciding, are we a good fit for one another? Is it you know a handful of calls? Is it you know a couple of week process? Is it a several month process? What does that look like? Yeah, it, you know, I don't know if I'd call it a process, but it's like, uh, it's a little bit like you're dating, right? Right. And so like you have your first date and second date, and then you eventually get like, you know, connected and then engaged or whatever the case may be. For us, I think it, um, it's definitely not a short process. I would say at the, at, at the absolute minimum, uh, it's a 60 day kind of experience. I think uh, one of the concepts 
this love and honey fried chicken. I mean, it took us six months to get to a point where, you know, we really felt good and they felt great. Uh, we love the concept and the founders. They wanted to get more comfortable with us. Hmm. Um, in a lot of these instances, you know, these are founders that, you know, this is their baby. This is their business they bought, they, they created. And so for a lot of them, especially if they're, if they're, if we're buying in or buying in for some equity, they really want to be, um, you know, sure that it's the right fit. So, um, now listen, on the flip side, we're working with some concepts where we're just doing, you know, they're, they're selecting certain pieces from our platform and we're doing that work with the intention that we build this relationship into something bigger. So I like that what we've really gone to a little more is, you know, Hey, you know, we're not sure if we want to kind of get married or, you know, invest or they don't want to give up some equity. So let's do some work together, see how we get along. And if it works well, great. So I I just believe in that. And um, I think the relationship is absolutely paramount. Like with anything, yeah, at the end of the day, the relationship is the foundation of everything else. If you don't have a good relationship, then that's built on trust, then you don't really have anything at all. And it makes everything else a lot more difficult, obviously. Um, Matt, any other topics you wanted to cover before we wrap up here? Um, I don't think so. I think, you know, we, we talked a lot about, um, just the industry and, uh, as well as just, you know, the segment that we're in. I think that, um, the last thing I'll just say, uh, specifically about the emerging franchise or market is I commend every one of those business owners like myself that venture into franchising. But when you work with you know consultants and incubators, their job is to take you from A to B, and they do a great job of that. I think for a lot of emerging franchisors, they don't know who to go to to take them from B to C. Mm. And so I think it's really important for a lot of those people if if you need help or you're not you know you're really looking for. Um, that continued support and expertise that there's people out there like franchise founders to help you through that next phase. Because if not, it's, it's not that it's not impossible. A lot of people have succeeded, but it's a challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the emerging franchise or they know their business, they know what it's taken to be successful in, in that industry, but franchising is a whole different ball game. And now, now you're in the franchising business and it helps to have people that have that franchise expertise to really scale and scale in a responsible way. That's good for both you as the franchisor, good for the franchisees, good for everybody involved. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for making the time for this. Uh, you have an incredible story. You obviously are a massive franchise expert. Um, and so really commend you for your, your past successes, for future successes, what you're doing now and the help that you're, you're providing to emerging franchisors. Um, so thanks so much for coming on again. Uh, as always, if you'd like our help buying a franchise, reach out to us. And then of course, you know, if you like the episode, if you found it valuable, share it with people, leave us a review and we'll see you on the next episode. You're f-ing fired. If you want to say those words to your boss, make sure you head on over to ifiredmybosspodcast.com and fill out the form to schedule a no-cost consultation. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend who might also want to fire their boss. 